Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Joining me on our game day segment this week to discuss a busy offseason for Michigan basketball is beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News. First, a few of my thoughts to get us rolling this week. Eric Bakic has baseball in their first college World Series since 1984. It's been a magical run so far, and each game is on ESPN this week, getting us a lot of exposure. On Saturday, we got by Texas Tech 5-3. Then on Monday night, Tommy Henry pitched a beautiful game as we shot out red-hot Florida State 2-0. Next action will be on Friday afternoon at 2 p.m. against the Thursday winner of the Florida State-Texas Tech game. You never know when we're going to get back to the College World Series, so let's enjoy what has been a great run for Michigan baseball. Juwan Howard has been on the job for just a couple of weeks. He's assembled his staff and is on the road recruiting. My guest today says finding one or more players to fill the three scholarship openings for next season is job number one, and that will not be easy because of the timing of the coaching change. Beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News joins me next. Here on the Michigan Man, in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Here with us on our game day segment this week to talk Michigan hoops is beat writer James Hawkins from the Detroit News, who we don't usually have on this time of the year, but it's great to have you with us, James. All right, good to be back. Well, as you and I just discussed before we started taping, not usually uh, that busy when it comes to Michigan basketball this time of the year, but we know there's been so much going on. Uh, job number one for Jawan Howard was putting his new staff together, James, and that's done now. I think the most interesting of the of the hires is Phil Martelli from St. Joseph's. He brings in years of experience as a head coach. He's 64 years old, but that experience as a head coach seems to be the key in why he was hired, uh, wasn't it, James? Yeah, I think with obviously with Juwan Howard, we know um, he has no previous head coaching experience. I mean, he had a short stint as a head coach in the summer league with the Heat, um, and he also has been in the NBA the past 25 years, you know, 19 years as a player and the past six seasons as an assistant with the Miami Heat. So, I mean, it's been a long time since he's been in the in the college game. So I, I think it was it was key for, you know, Juwan to get a guy who actually knows how to navigate everything that comes with the college game. I mean, obviously there's the recruiting, and then you have, you have to actually deal with all, like, the NCAA rules and guidelines and jump through all those hoops and everything that comes with it. And then there's also, you know, the academics and everything that comes with also being a student athlete in the college game. So... I think that was key for Juwan was getting a guy who knows how to navigate it and and is a guy he can turn to, you know, to lean on for guidance for, you know, navigating all this stuff, not only, you know, off the court, but also on the court. Um, because like I said, then this is going to be his first time as a head coach. And obviously, you know, Phil Martelli has all this stuff in spades, you know, as a, I believe it was 25 years, he, the last 25 years he spent as a head coach at St. Joe's. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a, a, a key thing um, for Juwan to bring in a guy who actually has, you know, had coaching experience, and they find a guy who clearly has no shortage of that. He seemed to hire Coach Martelli pretty quickly uh, after he got the nod. So uh, did they have any kind of a history with each other? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think they might have been put in contact through um, that search firm that Michigan used. But I think it was it's probably, I mean, coaching, the coaching world is kind of a, a small, tight-knit, tight-knit group. So I think there's probably, you know, I'm sure there's a mutual 
contact between the two that kind of helped put him in touch because I, I read that Phil Martelli, after he was like going at St. Joe's, he still wanted to remain in coaching and he was looking at all his opportunities. And then I guess when he kind of been, was put in touch with Juwan Howard, it kind of, you know, he said right away that, you know, the opportunity and just talking with Juwan Howard kind of tugged at his heart and it was something he knew he wanted to do. But I'm not sure who put them in touch, but I'm sure, like I said, I mean, the coaching coaching circles all pretty pretty close knit and pretty tight so i'm sure there's probably a mutual mutual person that kind of put those two in touch well he certainly checks off a lot of boxes for what a new head coach would want to surround himself with uh, another gentleman that checks off i think a lot of boxes and was a good decision was Saudi washington for juan keeping him on staff probably always a good idea if you can to keep at least one of coach b's guys i, I think it's a good idea anyway I think a lot of fans wanted them to keep, you know, one of the assistants at least, but I think it's good for, in a sense, for continuity, obviously. You know, Saudi Washington has been there for the past three seasons. He'll be entering his fourth season, so he knows all the guys on the team, you know, the seniors like Xavier Simpson, John Teske. He's been there the entire time they've been there. So he has that relationship already built with those guys, and he can kind of be that bridge between, you know, this new staff that's coming in and kind of what was the old staff and how they did things. And that's one thing he can help with Jawan. I mean, obviously, if Juwan Howard wants to know like, kind of how things were done. Um, I mean, that's something obviously Saudi Washington knows because he was he's been there. He's been under Beeline the past three seasons and and served as the top assistant the past two two seasons when you know DeAndre Haynes and Luke Yaklich came in. So I think it it definitely helps you know with that with that continuity having a guy that's still there that knows knows the players kind of knows all those guys already has that, that trust built built with them. Um, and I know a lot of people wanted them wanted Michigan to keep Luke Yaklich. Um, but I mean, I get why he was why he kind of took the opportunity with Texas because Juwan Howard was kind of the defensive mind with the Miami Heat, and I mean the Miami Heat actually was like a top ten defensive team in the NBA the last you know four or five seasons when he was on that staff. So I mean, I get that there could be you know something with clashing with you know philosophies maybe on the defensive end um, when he comes in. But I think when you just think about Juwan's background, I guess that kind of makes sense as to why Luke kind of left. Um, just because I think that's what Juwan's maybe going to focus. I know with, uh, you know, former coach John Beeline, he was more the offensive guy, and then he kind of, you know, let Luke Yaklich kind of control the defensive thing. Um, we could see something similar with Juwan Howard. We could see Juwan just maybe kind of control the de- defensive side and then maybe have a guy like Phil Martelli or, you know, one of the other systems kind of maybe help, you know, I guess be more hands-on with the offensive end. So um, that, that remains to be seen. But, yeah, I definitely think keeping at least one of – you know, Michigan's former assistants was was also critical just in terms of the continuity. And I think, you know, and, and with Saudi Washington too. I mean, before he was at Michigan, he was at Oakland, and I mean, he worked with the guards there, and he worked with some good guards. I mean, just off the top of my head, Kay Felder. And then we know during his time at Michigan, these last few years, he's been working with the big men, which is also something Juwan Howard had did with the Heat. But I mean, Saudi kind of has that flexibility mm-hmm. that he's worked with, you know, all these position groups at his time. So I feel like um, that also makes it, you know, kind of a a good thing for him to kind of stay on as an assistant. Well, the third assistant was, uh, he's, he's, an, he's an interesting hire to me, Howard Isley, uh, an NBA coach, a Detroiter, played with Jalen Rose at Detroit Southwestern, but no college experience. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a concern, James, but a lot of people seem to think it might be. Yeah, I mean, I get that. It's, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of, we're not going to know until, you know, they actually, <laughs> we actually see yeah. what happens with this, with this team. I, it's kind of hard. We don't know what like each assistant's responsibilities are actually going to be this season too. Um, but I'm just guessing that Howard Isley is maybe going to be a guy who works with the guards, kind of what DeAndre Haynes did last season. I mean, he's obviously a, a former point guard. He's played in the NBA. He's, 
spent, I believe it was the net, the last nine seasons in the NBA as an assistant. And, and like you mentioned, I mean, he's a Detroit native, so he should help um, in recruiting Detroit and in the state. And um, yeah, it's just one of these things that it's going to be kind of hard to, you know, kind of the jury is not going to be able to be out on this guy until we actually see what the staff does, you know, together. I mean, they've been on the job for um, maybe only the past couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, but I mean, look, he brings plenty of, like Juwan Hardy brings plenty of NBA experience, which is, has got to be attractive to some recruits in a sense. And it's not like he doesn't know basketball um, as a former player and then a guy who's been in the NBA. So, um, I mean, like I said, we'll, we'll see. I don't know what each of these guys' responsibilities are going to be, but just, you know, kind of looking at the staff, I think he's going to be a guy who's probably going to maybe come in and help, help work with the guards. And obviously the hope is that he's going to be a guy who can help, you know, rec- recruit the state pretty hard and especially the, the Detroit area and kind of lure some of the top talent. Um, to Michigan. Since Jawan's hire, there have been a lot of stories written about how many former NBA players have come back to coach in college, some at their alma maters, and it's been a mixed degree of success. What do you think makes the transition so very difficult, James? you got to look at the situations in a lot of those cases. Like, I mean, you look at guys like Chris Smolnett, when he, when he went back, um, and then you know Patrick Ewing at Georgetown. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of those guys, and the same thing with Penny Hardaway at Memphis, I mean, when those guys come back, I mean, a lot of it's, you know, the the hype and excitement factor of hiring these guys to maybe come in and, you know, kind of revive the glory days that those guys had when they were at the program. Um, and obviously, you know, Chris Mullen kind of didn't, he kind of didn't fare well. And the same thing with Petty Hardaway. I mean, he, I mean, he's only going into his second year, but he already has, you know, the top recruiting class in the nation coming in. And then, you know, Patrick Ewing, he's still had, he still hasn't made the NCAA tournament. I think it's been a couple seasons he's been there. Um, but I mean, Juwan Howard's inheriting a completely different situation than a lot of those guys. I mean, like I said, a lot of those guys are being brought in to, to programs that are looking for that spark, you know, maybe get back in the tournament and, you know, kind of help change the trajectory of the program and get it back to its winning ways. But I mean, Juwan's coming in, he doesn't have to build up anything. I mean, the foundation and everything's already been built, um, you know, during the 12 seasons that John Beeline has been um, at Michigan. So his job is just to kind of keep this ball rolling and continue the, the success. I mean, the only thing Michigan could have done better, I mean, he's passed, you know, I mean, they made the Sweet 16 in five of the last seven seasons, and, I mean, not a lot of programs are doing that. I mean, the only thing that they could do is, you know, just start winning the national titles. And, I mean, that's, you know, something you can only look at, you know, like the Dukes in North Carolina that are doing. Um, but I think just in terms of, I guess, what makes that transition hard is just, I mean, I, I think a lot of it, too, is you could look at, I mean, I guess, like, the staff, those guys kind of had around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the situation is just kind of the biggest thing. It's kind of hard to, you know, bring in a, you know, a former, you know, legend at that program and just expect, you know, him to just kind of come in and change everything. I mean, because, like I said, you have to – all those guys, that, who knows how familiar they were with recruiting because, you know, that's the lifeblood of college. So, I mean, while they might be a big name, um, you know, guys could just see what they do, like, with that team. And that's the big thing with Juwan Howard with – I was in the the N, I was at the MVP um, MBPA top 100 camp uh, this past week, and speaking with the recruits and a lot of those guys want to see. I mean, there's obviously a lot of buzz with Juwan Howard, but they want to see kind of what he does with his team. They don't know the style of play, the type of system. They don't know what type of guys he's going to bring in. Um, so that might have been a thing with you know former pros that you know um, it might not just been attractive to a lot of top recruits. I guess what they were doing there and. That kind of didn't help, but um, I mean, I, I think just you know, kind of the situation a lot of those guys inherited played mm-hmm. a, a big role in, I guess, kind of the success or lack of success they, they kind of had.
Well, let's take a minute just to uh, talk about recruiting. Um, Cole Bajima decided to stay with his commitment. Jalen Wilson, though, uh, is going with Kansas. From what you heard, did Juwan actually get a chance to to talk with Jalen before he committed to Kansas? I mean, I've heard some stuff, but it was more so kind of speculation. I don't want to spread misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how much he actually talked to him. But, um, I mean, there was reports out there that he was supposed to have an in-house visit with Jalen Wilson, and I never really saw anything following up on that that they actually did did meet. Um, but I think um, even after he decommitted, though, I think it was going to kind of be – um, an uphill battle for Michigan to win him back because, like I said, it's it's kind of one of those things where Jalen Wilson kind of knew what he was getting into with, you know, under John Beeline and kind of how he fit into the system and everything like that. And, I mean, with Jawan Howard, like I said, with a lot of recruits, the whole thing is they want to wait and see what kind of happens, um, kind of how they feel like they're going to fit into the system, what, what style they're going to have. Um, so I guess that, that uncertainty kind of, I guess, could be – could have played a role in Jalen Wilson leaving to Kansas. I mean, obviously Kansas is a top program in the nation, yeah. as we know. Um, but I, I, I don't know the extent as to how hard um, Juwan Howard was kind of recruiting him to kind of bring him back. But um, just based on like kind of the, 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 you know, what I heard and what I saw after he kind of made those, Jalen made those official visits to Kansas and North Carolina, it seemed like um, it was kind of leaning more towards the, towards those two schools as opposed to him kind of re-recruiting and recommitting to, to Michigan. Well, as you said, and we all know, recruiting is the lifeblood of college basketball, of college sports, period. It's uh, job number one for uh, Juwan right now. He has his staff in place finally, so they're going to be out on the road, I'm sure, a lot of the summer. Michigan has, I believe, with Bajima, with his scholarship, we now have two more to give, right? They have three open scholarships right oh, wow. now um, okay. that they could get for next season. You look at the, the transfer, uh, JC transfers, any kind of transfer, that's sort of, uh, there's not much there right now, is there? No, the uh, market's very thin right now. And, I mean, they had a couple of the top targets that they were going after. I mean, they had uh, Justin Pierce, the one guy that they were going after. One beeline was still here, the the kind of the guy from William & Mary that landed at North Carolina. And then... Um, and they also were going after Oakland grad transfer Javen Cumberland, um, who kind of landed at Cincinnati after his his cousin uh, Jared Cumberland kind of returned from the NBA NBA draft, and that that really wasn't that big of a surprise just because that was kind of the you know the word on the street mm-hmm. the whole time is if you know Jared Cumberland went back to, uh, to Cincinnati that's kind of Javen was going to follow him there, um, but those were two guys. I mean the one thing if you look at Michigan's roster is that they they really are in desperate need of kind of scoring wings and kind of perimeter scoring because. I mean, they, as we know that they've lost, you know, Jordan Poole, Ignis Brasvakis, and Charles Matthews, and that's, you know, Michigan's top three perimeter players. Iggy and Jordan were the top, you know, the team's top two three-point shooters in terms of made three-pointers. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, you look at what they have coming in. I mean, they only have, like we said, there's only 11 guys on the scholarship they have coming in. And you kind of wonder where they're going to really re- kind of get that production replaced what they're, what they're losing. I mean, it's going to be tough. And the one spot that's really kind of a concern to me that I think is really uncertain is that two spot with Jordan Poole. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I mean, a guy that you think could fit in right away that kind of has the prototypical prototypical build is Adrian Nunez, but he was, you know, he played the least amount of time as, as the, the five freshmen last season. Um, and I mean, there's also other ways you could go with that. You could go with Eli Brooks or you can go with David DeJulius at the two spot, but um, 
I mean, those are two kind of smaller guys at the at the two spot. I mean, when you think of you know Adrian Hughes is six six, and you know Julius is like a six foot guy. I don't know if Juwan wants to run two six foot guys in the backcourt at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean the 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 grid transfer wire is really thin. I mean, there's no top 100 guys out there in 2019. I mean, Jalen Wilson was the last top 100 guy to to commit to pick a college. Um, so it's really it's really kind of a tough spot. I mean, just when John Beeline left, it wasn't um, ideal timing for Michigan at all. Um, it was good timing for Beeline, but not for you know the coaching search and um, the situation that Juwan kind of had to inherit. So I'm kind of trying to fill out these scholarships. But, I mean, I think they're going to try to scour the grad transfer market to maybe just get a guy or two to kind of fill in, to plug in. Because, um, I mean, just kind of going with 11 guys is going to be kind of tough. I mean, they can do it, but then – it's one of those things where if injuries hit, um, man, it's really going to hurt your depth and kind of be putting a lot more on a, on guys' plates. But I think, I mean, if the roster st- stays as it is right now, I think Michigan is just going to need, you know, the four freshmen that kind of stayed and, you know, that they're, that are going to be sophomores next season. They're going to need those guys to make huge jumps. I mean, I'm talking Colin Castleton, Brandon Johns, Adrian News, and David DeJulius. I think you look at that group of guys, I think, the jump that those guys make in their development um, is probably going to play the biggest role in how much success, I guess, that Michigan has next season if the roster kind of stays as it is right now. I, I agree with that. If you have three scholarships to give, and, man, are we uh, we are late in the game as far as giving them out for 2019. Even if you, you say you can get one more player and you have two openings, do you hold on to those scholarships until next year for the next class? I mean, yeah, Juwan could bank them and uh, – as, as we've seen, he's already kind of been swinging for the fences with recruiting. I mean, he's already offered um, a 2025 star and a 2021 five star. Um, so it could be, yeah, he just he could just bank those and try to just like build up a, a larger class for for next season to, to come in. Uh, but like I said, just the timing just kind of really didn't put Jawan Howard and them in a, in a in a favorable spot. And obviously, he had to get his his staff in place. Um, I think that was probably his first priority is getting getting his guys around him, and I think that's going to be the biggest key for him, obviously, during his tenure is just having this the, the kind of the staff he has around him uh, will probably play one of the bigger roles in his success. But, um, yeah, I, I just don't honestly don't know what they're going to do. Um, we all know this time. Time is ticking away, and the season is fast approaching. But I, I honestly don't even know what grad transfers are left out there. Um, but I think, like I said, I think they're probably going to try to get at least – a guy or two. Um, I just don't know who it's going to be. And I don't know if it's going to be, um, you know, that big of a, a name or a hot commodity on the market. Mm-hmm. Cause obviously we know all the, all the top guys are clearly gone and they've, they've been gone for some time. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, they could, who knows, they might stand pat. I don't know. Um, but I would think that they would at least try to get one or two grad transfers just, you know, to kind of plug in and kind of help at least build depth at least for this coming season. Well, a lot of older fans talk about Juwan Howard's Fab Five history, uh, paying dividends on the recruiting trail. You got to talk to a lot of these top recruits over the weekend, James. Uh, uh, That's a long time ago. If you're a 17-, 18-year-old player right now, the Fab Five is really, in some ways, ancient history to you. Do these kids really talk about the Fab Five? Do they know about the Fab Five, or is it more... Jawan Howard was an NBA player and coach that is what impresses them. I think the younger guys, like the recruits now, I think if they were like Michigan fans, they probably are familiar with the Fab Five. Like I think when I was speaking with like Michigan targets and, you know, one of the guys I talked to was Zeb Jackson, who's, you know, Michigan's only 2020 commit. He, he brought up the Fab Five but, um, when I spoke with him. But I mean, 
it could just be something where, I mean, obviously if a kid, you know, is, is a fan of Michigan or that's one of the teams they really like to follow, I mean, I'm sure they, they're well aware of, you know, what he did um, at Michigan. But I think the one attraction for, I guess, a lot of recruits more so is probably just the fact that he was, you know, uh, he was a longtime NBA big and that he, you know, he won, you know, two titles and then he was, you know, a guy who kind of played with, you know, LeBron and Dwayne Wade. And mm-hmm. I think it's more of like the recency, what he did, I think is what is more attractive to guys. I mean, they, they probably, I mean, they might know that he was with the Fab Five, but I don't think they probably, you know, know too much about, you know, the Fab Five and actually, you know, the type of player that Juwan was during that time. Um, it's not like they're probably going back and watching, you know, games from, you know, the early 90s when he was actually suited up and playing. Um, but I think just the biggest attraction for those guys is just the fact that he was a longtime NBA pro and he's, you know, former all-star, former first-round pick, you know, a two-time champion. Like I said, he played with, you know, a lot of the top players in the in the NBA. And I talked to the one Chicago guy that was, was actually at this camp, you know, DJ Stewart, who plays at Chicago Whitney Young. And the one thing I asked him uh, that I was kind of interested in is obviously Juwan Howard, you know, grew up, he was born and raised in Chicago and, mm-hmm. you know, he played at Chicago Vocational. And I asked him, you know, how much weight does his name still carry in the Chicago area? Because, you know, that's one of the things when he got hired is people thought, you know, okay, Juwan's going to kill it in the Chicago market um, because, you know, he's a Chicago guy and he's kind of, you know, a hoops legend there from his time. And so as DJ Stewart, like I said, he was the one, you know, Chicago kid at this at this NBPA, NBPA Top 100 camp. And uh, I asked him straight up, I was like, does his name still carry weight, you know, in the Chicago area? And he said, yeah, his name still means a lot. And he was, uh, he told me like his, his coach at Chicago Whitney, you know, um, Tyron Slaughter, you know, he spoke, spoke very highly of him. Um, so I guess that's a, a positive sign, but I mean, again, that was just, you know, the one Chicago guy <laughs> at this camp yeah. that I could talk to for that. So you can't really speak for everybody, but, um, I mean, I guess that's a positive sign though, at least when, you know, you get one of the top guys in the state of Illinois who kind of says, you know, that, you know, Juwan's kind of still a well-known figure in Chicago. And I mean, that, you know, hopefully it's going to bode well in terms of recruiting. But, I mean, obviously we know this buzz and everything, the excitement that comes with recruiting and the fact that guys know him, like know Juwan's name, um, kind of certainly helps. But, I mean, it doesn't, you know, also it doesn't necessarily mean that he's actually going to be able to lock down and, and get all these guys because, as we know, he's he's offered a few five-stars so far, but, I mean, he's yet to really get a guy to commit. So it's kind of this recruiting game is kind of going to be one of these uh, kind of wait and see things to see how well he's able to actually recruit, maybe lure some of this, this top talent that a lot of guys um, actually think that Juwan's going to be able to bring in. Now, at least for right now, his first recruiting class, he just, as we said, he came in at a really tough time to bring in good players. And if we do have 11 scholarships and, and we're thin, should we expect, is it reasonable, James, that this team might take a step backward on the wins and losses front I mean, any, anything is possible with this team. I think the one thing, though, is with, with Juwan, I, I, I believe it's not, like, going to be – I don't think his first year is going to be, like, a honeymoon phase. I think there still is the expectation for him to come in and win. Um, I think if you look at the core guys he has with, you know, the two seniors in Xavier Simpson and John Teske and then in a junior in Isaiah Livers, I think if you look at most Big Ten teams, I think any of them will would love to have those three guys as kind of a building block for a team. So, I mean, he has the pieces there to win. Um, and I think that's going to be still going to be the expectation is for him to compete in the Big Ten. Um, and the one thing, I mean, if you look, if you just look at past seasons, I mean, a lot of times you get teams that are expected to win and they struggle, or you get teams that aren't expected to do much and they kind of 
you know, have, have good seasons in the Big Ten. I mean, just look at last year, Nebraska brought back, you know, I think four of their stars or maybe their entire starting lineup, and they were one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. And mm-hmm. uh, same thing with Indiana. They were supposed to be a, a great team with, you know, Romeo Langford and um, Juwan Morgan that they that they had back in that one-two punch, and they kind of struggled um, in the Big Ten. So it's kind of one of those things that, I mean, any, anything can happen until, you know, the season actually comes comes around. But I still think they're going to be a team that is expected to, you know, to kind of maybe at least finish in the upper half of the Big Ten and actually compete um, for the for the title, but then it still make the NCAA tournament. Because, like I said, I mean, Juwan Howard was brought in to kind of sustain the success. And, um, I mean, him, you know, not competing and missing the NCAA tournament would, would definitely be a step back. But, I mean, yeah, I think he's just brought in to kind of help push things forward. And I think that is the expectation that comes with that is to kind of still put up another 21 season and uh, make a run for – you know, the Big Ten title and then kind of make a run in the NCAA tournament. So I think that's definitely what he's going to be uh, expected to do in this first year. I agree. That is the expectation. Not easy when your top three scorers are gone. And let's talk about the, those three guys who have been in the news, of course. Charles Matthews, though, that, that that was terrible. He tore his ACL last week just before the draft. And from what you read and hear, he had been working out and made great impressions on, on a lot of the teams he worked out for and you were reading, hey, he might be a second-round pick before the injury happened. What does that do to him? He was generating a lot of a lot of uh, a buzz in, in these workouts. Um, obviously, we don't see them, but just based on what um, you know, reporters at these NBA teams are reporting, you know, following these workouts, uh, he was he was showing out pretty well defensively. And I mean, obviously, Charles Matthews probably. I think I saw one tweet where he said, you know, he thought he was the best defender in this draft, and obviously, right. that's mm-hmm. where he's going to hang his hat on in the NBA is as a as a defender and. I mean, he could have been a, he could be a guy who just like goes in for, you know, short stints in the NBA and just kind of locks down a team's best player. And, you know, just, I mean, whatever offense he can provide, it could be a, a bonus, but he could just be, you know, a guy who just comes in as a shutdown defender. And um, I mean, yeah, the, the one thing that like, I think of it, it, it last year too, when he, when he went through this process, I mean, I think he was leaning towards leaving too last year until, um, I don't know if you remember, but he injured his wrist and mm-hmm. he, I think he only worked out with a couple of teams and he had to shut everything down, and that kind of led to him kind of coming back to Michigan. So it's just kind of a – it's an unfortunate thing if you just think about his history. I mean, he got injured last year, and then and then now, I mean, he was showing out well in these in these workouts, you know, on the defensive end, and then he hits this, you know, this this injury that's going to derail him for I don't even know how long until I, I saw, you know, maybe till next March at least. But still, like, I mean, he, he was – his name was still, you know, there in the in the second round as a late second-round guy, and – and he's still was, he was thought of a guy who could you know be one of the first people one of the first guys that people call for a two way contract, and it's going to be interesting to see what teams how teams view him because they still could take him on a like a late second round pick that could just you know still take him or as a two way guy and just be him as one of these kind of stash and store guys. I mean we see NBA teams deal with you know international guys a lot, so that still could be a path that NBA team takes with him. You know just kind of you know maybe take a late flyer on him. And like I said, just kind of him and storm until he's able to, to kind of get healthy and recover from that injury. And then, you know, he can maybe return later next season. But um, it's obviously going to be a huge hurdle for him. And it's and like you said, it's it's unfortunate news for a guy who we know, I mean, mm-hmm. what he what he did for Michigan. And I mean, obviously, his age, he's not getting any younger. And, um, you know, it's a guy chasing his dreams and he faces something like this. It's, you know, it's tragic to hear. But I mean, I think it's going to affect his stock it is going to affect his draft stock, obviously, but I don't know how much, honestly, it's going to affect him just because 
we know there are, you know, questions. And I think the biggest drawback for him is his shooting and if he's going to become a knockdown three-point shooter because we know that's how the NBA game is is going. So I feel like there were already kind of concerns with him um, just in terms of his offensive game. Obviously, this ACL injury, I just don't know how teams are going to view it, um, but I still think it, it may not affect teams from, like I said, maybe taking a late second-round pick and just kind of stashing and storing him away until he's able to kind of get healthy. From what you hear, have Iggy Brasdakis and Jordan Poole done anything in recent weeks to improve their draft chances? Not really. I mean, I've the one thing I heard is from the NBA Combine, a lot of like those the, the draft experts that were there, from what I understand is like Ignis Brasdakis really didn't have a, a great showing at the NBA Combine. Um, and if you look at like ESPN's latest mock draft, he's not even listed in their two-round two mock draft. He's nowhere to be seen the same thing if you look at like NBA DraftNet he's not even on there um, in the top 60 picks the only guy that was listed in ESPN's latest mock draft was Jordan Poole as like a late second rounder yeah I haven't I haven't heard anything that they are you know really improving their draft stock but as we know I mean with the NBA um, you just need one team to really like you and uh, that can change everything as we know with you know DJ Wilson two years ago I mean he wasn't really generating a lot of buzzer he was never expected to be that high of a pick. And then, as we know, he went, I believe it was 17th to Milwaukee Bucks. So, yeah, it's just one of those, they just have to, you know, kind of show out one of these one of these workouts they have. And, I mean, that could really just attract the team. But from what I've heard, um, I haven't really seen or heard anything that they've really boosted their draft stock to where, you know, they're really going to be, like, move up in terms of, you know, maybe being an early second-round pick. I think, if anything, they maybe have been uh, trending the other way towards being a late late second round draft picks and I think that's kind of the the area I end up seeing those guys get drafted Jordan Poole and Iggy when uh, the NBA draft comes around on Thursday well we'll see what happens in the coming weeks and months uh, with Michigan basketball but with football coming up soon it should be somewhat quiet on the basketball front for a while uh, when it does heat up in fall we'll be sure to get you back on James uh, so enjoy the summer and we look forward to having you back during the, the coming season which isn't that far away all right, sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. On Quick Hits today, thanks again to James Hawkins from the Detroit News for taking time to join us. Once again, make sure you carve out some time this Friday to check out baseball in action at the College World Series. They will be playing the winner of the Florida State-Texas Tech game at 2 p.m., and you can see it on ESPN. Make sure you check out our free show app in the Google Play and iTunes stores. You can also hear the show on Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, Spotify, and now Radio.com. Football season is right around the corner, and in August we'll be back on our weekly programming schedule. Our next show will air, though, on July 10th, and we hope to have Steve Lorenz from 24-7 Sports join us with the latest recruiting news. That will do it for today, though. Have a wonderful Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Thanks for joining us, and until we meet again, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze & Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls 
at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!